we're in a series from the book of Jonah. Not what you remember as a kid, this little book packs a punch. Dive in with us as we continue our series when God's grace doesn't make sense. I talked to my brother John, my younger brother John makes him 48. So I know you can figure out my age if you didn't know, right? And, um, and he pastors our home church, the church that Kim and I grew up. And served for assistant associate pastor for many years, and today is the senior pastor of that church. And Mister who attends that church sent me a little video of him doing. Some of you know, I think I think it's Josh Wilson's song you might hear on the radio called "My Rescue Story." Anybody hear that song? My right, and he did, and he's so creative, my brother. Right, he's a better communicator and preacher than I am. I will say that, and um, and 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 he did it at the end of his sermon. He did like a human video kind of dance thing to that story, to that song, and it was so moving. Like I was in tears. I said, John, that message would have gone perfect. That that song would have gone perfect with my message um, yesterday morning. And, and he said, well, what are you preaching? I said, I'm preaching. And he said, you are? He goes, I'm preaching from the book of Jonah. And so we promise not to listen to each other, contaminate each other, you know, whatever, you know. But, um, but yeah, so it was just really interesting for me. And so, um, so this morning we're in Jonah. I just want to say, on, I don't know if he's back there, but a thank you to Dan and Jose. Um, they've been working with Dave Sierra, some of you men here, um, for our sound system, re-EQing a new board and so forth. And we're going through some little bumps and so forth maybe. But, man, I think today was really smooth. And, um, you know, appreciate these guys. I mean, they've been in here so much um, the past um, week or two and just a lot of work. And just want to them and those who've been, been serving in that area. Um, it's not an easy job, and I know sometimes I give I give them a little grief, but um, it's not an easy job, and appreciate effort. Um, and so this morning, um, this morning again, we've been in a series of messages from the book of Jonah, from Jonah chapter three, beginning at verse number one, and it says this: Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time: Go to the great, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it, going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed in all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he roamed, he took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. And this was the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, all or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let and their violence, who knows? God may relent, turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil did and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened, may God bless his word to us this morning. And I've entitled this message. Um, well, I have one thing here. I don't know what I have back there, Dan. There, there we go. It's still amazing grace. Amen. Or the way I have it on my paper. Oh, I have the same thing. It's still amazing grace. Or maybe we could ask the question, is it still 
amazing growth. And so I know we've sung it for years. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But let me are we really amazed by grace? And do we comprehend what's so amazing about God's grace? Especially those of us who've been in church for any time that we've gotten so used to talking and singing about grace that we're really not all that amazed by it. That it's just become another word in our Christian vocabulary. That it's another nice theological concept, a nice thought. But it doesn't seem to connect all that much to our everyday life. And I think that one of the reasons we are not really all that amazed by God's grace is that we've become a bit like Jonah. For we easily picture God's grace being extended towards us, to our people, or to good people, at least to those nice people who live across the hill with us. In fact, we almost expect it. It's nice, but it really doesn't seem all that amazing. For you see, we have forgotten the depth of God's grace is best seen and best understood when it is poured out on those who are living in outright rebellion against God. Those who are living there and that grace is not first and foremost for good people or for nice people, but it is for sinners. And when we begin to see ourselves as such, we begin to understand about God's grace that we might say with the Apostle Paul from First Timothy chapter one. When he writes, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full saying that we all ought to accept and even maybe repeat that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Can you look at somebody next to you this morning and say to them, I'm the worst of sinners. I'm the worst. And if that's true about you, I want you to know Jesus came to save you. God has grace for you. And so as we've been Jonah, we've, we, we saw how Jonah received a call from God to go to the city of Nineveh. And how does running from the presence of God? For he doesn't want to go to Nineveh and warn them of the impending judgment that was about to fall upon them. And so he gets on a ship headed towards Tarshish in the direction. And as he, as he leaves on that ship, as he's on that ship, God sends a supernatural storm. And in the midst of that storm, we saw how Jonah is th- one man, we said, is sacrificed for the many. And by the end of chapter one, we find pagan sailors are worshiping Yahweh, the true God of heaven and earth. Jonah hits that water. The seas calm down. The pagan sailors are worshiping God. Next thing, he was going to drown at sea. Next thing he knows, he's being swallowed by this huge fish. And so he thinks, well, I guess I'm going to die in the fish. He thinks it's his end. He prays what he thinks must be his final prayer. And in the midst of his personal shield, we saw it last week, his personal grave, Jonah writes, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. When another miracle takes place, Jonah is spit out onto dry land. I mean, I don't know how far he had to be propelled from that fish to land on dry land. But he's alive. Surprisingly, both to him and to the readers, the story continues. And that's where we pick up this morning, here at the next stage of Jonah's story. And here is where we really begin to see what's so amazing about God's grace. For Jonah chapter 3 shows us what grace really looks like. We see, first of all, 
that grace, God's grace at work within Jonah's life, I want to tell you, it's amazing grace. And I'm not quite sure that Jonah fully grasped it. After all, he's a lot like us or vice versa. We're a lot like him. But it's easy to take his grace for granted. From our perspective, it's almost expected. Oh, yeah, God's going to pour grace into my life. And if I mess up, oh, God's grace will be there. But let's not miss amazing God's grace was as God worked in Jonah's life because verse number one of chapter three says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah, what? A second, a second time. You see, up to this point in Jonah's story, God has been so gracious to Jonah over and over again. For he was the prophet of God, God's mouthpiece. We saw God's dove, that's what the name Jonah means. God's sign of salvation, living in complete rebellion. How many of us know that the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is expected, much is required. And Jonah had been given much. He was one of God's people of God. He had lived with a special anointing upon his life, and yet the sin in his own heart is revealed as he receives a calling from God that he does against God. But what do we see God do? It's a story of amazing grace. As God chases Jonah down, he doesn't allow Jonah to live in of the world. He doesn't allow Jonah to escape and end up who knows where. But God chases Jonah down by means of the storm that Jonah in a place wherein Jonah has no other alternative but to stop running. There's nowhere else to go. I mean, when you're in the in the belly of a fish, you got nowhere to go. And amazingly, God allows Jonah to come home, as it were. Like the parable. When the son remembered his father and his father's house and decided to go home. What does he find? But the father is there waiting for him with open. The rebellious son was welcome home. And you see, that's exactly what God did for Jonah. And as he's welcome home, God gives Jonah in God's household one more time. Listen again. God could have allowed Jonah to fall into oblivion and be lost forever. God could have allowed Jonah to die inside that great fish. And God could have raised up someone else to go, someone to take Jonah's place. For after all, none of us is indispensable, are we? God has Jonah, but filled with mercy, filled with love and grace. God doesn't throw in the towel on Jonah. God doesn't give up on Jonah. But God gives Jonah a second chance, something that none of us ought to take for granted. And so much to our surprise, and I'm sure to Jonah's, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Listen, if the story had just ended here, we could say, wow, God's grace is amazing. After all, it's down a prejudiced, rebellious, self-centered prophet that God would go to the lengths he did not to allow one of his own to fall, would step in and work miracle after miracle to save Jonah and then to call him a second time. I want to tell you this morning, church, that's amazing grace. And I wonder today how many of us can say, that's what God has done in my life. That's what God did for me. For how many times has God rescued you from you? How many times after you've strayed far from home, he's welcomed you back with open arms? How many times has God given you a second chance? And just maybe today there's someone here. That's what God is doing in your life even now. He's been chasing. You've been running from him, but he keeps on pursuing you. 
Maybe you once followed him with a whole heart, and somehow your heart has strayed, and God is coming at another opportunity to come to him, to know him, to experience his grace, his mercy, his love, and even to receive a fresh calling upon your life. That we serve a God who gives second chances. It's amazing grace. Amazing grace. But listen, we have to know Jonah receives grace and then is expected to be a channel of grace. Oh, God was glad to pour out grace into Jonah at the end of the story because Jonah was expected to return the favor. As we say today, he was expected to pay it forward. You know what I mean? To pay it forward. And this time, Jonah obeys, maybe reluctantly. I have to think it still was kind of reluctant. But he goes to Nineveh. He's learned his lesson. He's going to keep chasing you. Right? He's going to keep chasing you. Can I tell you this morning, if you're running from God, just know you can't outrun God. You'll never outrun him. But the second step in the story here in the chapter is we see God's grace at work among the Ninevites. And again, it's amazing. Around as he was the first after all, these were the arch enemies of Jonah's people, as we've seen. He was putting his own life at great risk by entering Nineveh. And the last thing, the very last thing Jonah wanted to see was the outside possibility that the Ninevites would actually respond to the message that he would bring with repentance. Jonah knew that his message was not an oracle like that comes from the pagan prophets that was just, just uh, announcing the future. This is what's going to happen. But his message was prophecy. And we saw a few weeks ago, there's a difference between an oracle and prophecy. An oracle happened in the future. A prophecy, because the pagans gave oracles, a prophecy was, this is what will happen unless you repent towards God. And there's always that unless. Jonah had learned his lesson, as we said. This time, Jonah obeyed. And once in Nineveh, he began to proclaim a very simple message as he traveled for three days through the city. And notice it wasn't a message that necessarily called the people to repent. Oh, God loves you and God wants you to come. And Jonah wasn't like weeping before the people and giving altar calls. He simply declared wherever he went that the city be destroyed in 40 days. 40 days, the city is going to be destroyed. 40 days, your city is going to be destroyed. 40 days, the judgment of God is coming. 40 days, 40 days, 40 days. That was it. Now listen, of course, 40 days is significant in the Bible, is it not? If you know your Bible. We read of Noah, Moses up on the mountain for 40 days, and the Israelites left below. The Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years. Elijah traveling for 40 days in the wilderness and being tempted for 40 days. And finally, Jesus appearing to his disciples after his resurrection for 40 days. In each case, the number four is formation. 40 is the period of time wherein God gives people and nations an opportunity to turn from temptation and sin and to give them following him filled with obedience and faith. In this case, you see, rather than just sending destruction upon Nineveh, the moment the three days were over, Ninevites, a period of time, 40 days to respond to the message he had sent. That in and of itself is an act of God's mercy and grace. I mean, because, listen, Jonah could have gone three days, three days through the whole city, just declaring, 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 and at the end of the three days, bam, the city's... But God was giving the people 40 days. And how do you like this? The Ninevites respond. 
Who would have thought, you know? Who would have thought? The wicked people of Nineveh actually respond to Jonah's message. It's an incredibly being the king over the whole Assyrian Empire. He responds by taking off his royal robes, putting on sackcloth, fasting, sitting in the dust, and he may calling everyone in his kingdom to do the same, including the animals. You got cows, you got goats, you got chickens, you got dogs, you got cats. You know, put them in sackcloth, sprinkle them with dust. I'm sure the cows just loved it, you know. But everyone and everything were to follow his lead, and thus the people responded with humility, repentance, and faith. Catch those three things. Humility, humility, repentance, and faith. In fact, notice two things about their response. The Bible says here very specifically, they believed. That is, somehow, faith enough took hold within their hearts, and they believed God. They, no, it doesn't say they believed Jonah. What? Come on, are there people that you can think of right now in your life or people maybe in other parts of the world? You say, oh, there's no way. But something stirred in the Ninevites' hearts. And it says they believed God. And then they were instructed by the king to call urgent on Elohim. That is, the creator God. The God who is over all things. See, remember, these were pagans who believed in, in a multitude of gods. But here they recognize that there was a God over all other gods. In their minds, as, as the book of Jonah normally refers to God, Yahweh, the Lord, was basically the God of the Israelites. But the king recognized that Jonah wasn't just preaching, oh, our God is going to get your God. You know, it's not that kind of thing. But the God who's over all. And so we need to urgently call on him, crying out for mercy. And notice the king's words are so interesting when he says, who knows, lent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? And where the king got that thought, we have no idea, but he was, wasn't he? That just possibly Elohim would respond to their humility, repentance, and faith. Just maybe. It's worth a shot, guys. Let's do our best. And so they come before God in humility, repentance, and a miracle of grace takes place. God responds with mercy and grace. For we read, relented, and that's a very good translation, that word. Because when we, some translations would use the word repented, but we always think of the word itself has to do with a turning away from a, an original course of action. God changes his course of action. God turns and the city is spared. I mean, think of it this morning, church. The vilest of people on the face of the earth at the time. The most violent, cruelest of people and the biggest threat to God's own people is being spared. They're being shown mercy. They're being shown grace. Come on, church. That's amazing grace. That's amazing grace. Now, of course, someone, people like Jonah, maybe you and I, we might ask, well, what pour out such grace 
on such a wicked people. And the only answer that I can come up with is this, that God must have actually cared for and loved the Ninevites. In spite of their cruelty and their wicked ways, God's heart went out towards them. His heart was broken for them. His heart was pleading for them to come, for Jonah to understand. But Jonah must have known for some reason God actually cared about these Ninevites. After all, why else would he send a Hebrew prophet away to warn them of impending judgment? Why else would God have been so insistent on sending Jonah? Oh, come on, can you wrap your mind around it? Picture God caring for and his heart breaking over evil, wicked people. People who become so lost in their sin that they don't even realize they're in sin. Often the very people that we find ourselves as God's people having to stand up against and protect ourselves from. goes out to them. He actually cares for them. And so as the people of Nineveh humbled themselves and repented of their sinful ways and called upon God, mercy and grace, the very same mercy and grace that he had shown to Jonah. And why? Because he loved them as much as he loved Jonah. He loved them. Wrap his head around. We see the root of God's grace is always found in his well of love, is it not? The God of heaven and earth, God who can be manipulated into doing the will of man by means of our religious ritual, he doesn't show grace because somehow we've learned how to twist his arm. But he's a God who, with humility, repentance, and faith, he always responds to those who will cry out to him, who, right, no matter who they are, no matter where they are, no matter what they have done, for ultimately he's a God who loves all of mankind. He loves all of mankind. Oh, I know it's a song that you hear all the time, maybe on the radio and different worship events. It speaks of, God's reckless love. But I want to tell you this morning, God's love, as some have called it. Because he's reckless. The word reckless is acting without thought of the consequences. Reckless in the gym one day that says, I'm reckless, you know, like some macho thing, you know. God's love is not reckless. But God's Come on, his love is relentless because his is a love that is so purposeful and so deep that it chases down even though when we stray from God and we don't even know that we're about to fall into the pit of our own sin, God's love continues to chase us down and to chase us down. It's not a reckless love, it's a relentless love. And it was that kind of love that caused God to chase down a sinner such as Jonah. And it was that caused God to send Jonah to Nineveh it was that kind of love that eventually expressed itself in this incredible display of mercy and grace as God responded by withholding judgment. And I want to tell you this morning, it's that same kind of love that causes the grace of God to be extended to in grace. Amazing grace. Oh, we all know the words to the hymn. We have a, a picture of John Newton's here. The one who wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace. But did you know that they, they, those words are his incredible testimony? Penned long afterward, he became an Anglican minister in England, but he never forgot his own personal conversion experience the day the grace of God went to work in his life. And as he reflected upon what God did in his, did in his life, he wrote those words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. That saved, I was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. 
These words reflect the experience of a man who was once known as the great blasphemer. He said that while working on slave ships, his mouth was so foul and his attitude so rebellious, he had to be reprimanded by the captain. They left him behind in Africa. I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. And in 1748, on his return from Africa, Newton, terrible storm. How do you like that? Another storm that threatened to destroy his ship, the Greyhound, and kill everyone on board. One author put it this way. The Greyhound had been in the Atlantic storm for over a week. Its canvas sails were ripped, and the wood on one side of the ship had been torn away and splintered. The sailors had little hope of survival, but they mechanically worked the pumps trying to keep the vessel afloat. On the 11th day of the storm, imagine, on the 11th day of the storm, he was too exhausted to pump. So he was tied to the helm and tried to hold the ship to its course. From 1 o'clock until midnight, he was at the helm. And it was March 21st, 1748, that Newton called out to God to save him. Later on, he wrote, on that day, the Lord's son, we read, Newton never ceased to stand in awe of God's work in his life. As one person put it, only God's amazing grace could and would take a slave trading sailor and transform him into a child of God. It's no wonder he wrote, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. As he agreed with the Apostle Paul, uh, who wrote again, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. John Newton, he knew God's at work in his life. And so what's our application this morning? What are our takeaways? Well, just three simple things. In our first sermon from this book, and that is this, that no one is beyond the grace of God. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. To all people. No one is beyond the grace of God. God always responds to humility, repentance, and faith, no matter from whom it comes. And so I want to tell you this morning, no matter how far you've been living your life away from God, how much you have messed up, no matter how much sin has overtaken your life, if today you will humble yourself enough to repent of your sin and then place your faith in the God who loved you so much that he would send his son Jesus for you, then he will pour life today to save you. No one's beyond God's grace. He always responds to humility, repentance, and faith. And the last thing is once you receive his grace, God wants to use you as a channel of grace. God, God wants, wants, wants us to go where he asks us to go, to speak what he asks us to speak, and allow his grace to flow through us. And listen, we just might be surprised at who responds to this gospel. There might be people in your life, you say, oh, not them. Oh, they'll never, you know. And those people over there, oh, no, no, they're too far away. Listen, if we will allow God's grace to flow into us and three surprise. All we know is we've been called to pay it forward, church. Let's never think that anyone is beyond God's grace. He still offers to us and to all people his amazing grace. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5.15, But the gift is not like the For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? When 
When was the last time that you were amazed by God's grace? I want to close with this short video here. Still